Well, Iran did do it, and you know they did it because you saw the boat. <laughs> Boy, he's uh, quick to accept evidence when it's something he wants to believe, isn't he? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Oh, that's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, in Cottage Grove, on KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, on WPRR. In New Orleans, on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas, on KPSQ. Seattle's KODX. uh, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. Also, to we stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week on those fine affiliates and many others. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Coming up momentarily, I know a lot of progressives out there were just delighted when social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube banned the accounts of folks like Alex Jones of Infowars and right wingers like uh, Milo I- Yiannopoulos. How do you say his name? Yiannopoulos. Yiannopoulos. Right. I think it's Yiannopoulos. And white nationalists like Richard Spencer. But this week, Twitter removed a longtime progressive investigative journalist from the popular social media platform, at least temporarily. Though I must say, I am shocked. Given Twitter's supposed reason for the so-called temporary suspension, that he is still unable to log on to his Twitter account and his tweets are unavailable to the world. So should any of that give pause to those on the left who were so happy when the right wingers were banned? That journalist will join us momentarily to explain what the hell is going on and why his fight against the alt-right has, at least now, for now, landed him in the same Twitter penalty box with KKKers and Nazis, I guess. Yeah, it's some very interesting questions on freedom of speech and freedom of the press and how these social media platforms, you know, go through this minefield of, of different kinds of speech and how to how to operate. OK, that. that's enough speech out of you. <laughs>
That is, of course, Desi Doyen, our producer. Hi, Des. Hi. Also today, the uh, the DNC announced which candidates will appear on each night of its uh, first upcoming two-night debate on June 26 and 27 from Miami. We'll have that breakdown and a few thoughts on it for you a little bit later and maybe some more depending on how things go here. But I want to make sure before I get to my guests some uh, brief news today very quickly want to make sure this is on your radar before this thing blows up. I mean, figuratively or literally at this point in the Middle East. Uh, according to NBC, the Japanese owner of a tanker attacked in the Gulf of Oman this week claimed on Friday that it was struck by a flying projectile. That contradicts reports by U.S. officials and the military on the source of the blast. U.S. Central Command said the two said that two vessels were hit on Thursday by a limpet mine, which is attached to boats below the waterline using magnets. U.S. CENTCOM released video on Thursday night that it claimed showed an Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps patrol boat removing an unexploded mine from one of the tankers, the uh, Kokua Courageous, though that unexploded mine, if that's in fact what it was, appeared also to be above the waterline in this very fuzzy, grainy, black and white nighttime video released by the Department of Defense. But on Friday morning, the owner of the 560-foot ship Courageous said that sailors saw something flying toward the vessel just before the explosion and that the impact was well above the waterline. In other words, not an underwater mine, as the DOD has claimed, without evidence to support that claim. The uh, owner of this uh, Japanese shipping company said at a press conference on Friday, quote, we received reports that something flew towards the ship. The place where the projectile landed was significantly higher than the water level, so we are absolutely sure that this wasn't a torpedo. He said, I do not think there was a time bomb or an object attached to the side of the ship. U.S. officials have not yet responded to those claims, but Donald Trump reiterated U.S. allegations that Iran was behind the attack, telling the Fox News Channel that the incident had... Iran written all over it. Well, Iran did do it, and you know they did it because you saw the boat. I guess one of the mines didn't explode, and it's probably got essentially Iran written all over it. There's, You can't so. see anything in the fuzzy, grainy video, and a hole doesn't say, hey, I've got Iran written all over me. So yeah, well, it, and they weren't even evidence. at the hole, the supposed hole where this, uh, this ship was hit. They oh, were at another part curious. of the ship. So, no, we don't know that Iran is is written all over it. It's uh, interesting that Donald Trump is very, very quick to accept evidence of what he wants to believe in, as opposed to, you know, the mountains of evidence that exists concerning climate change or the 448 page Mueller report. Mueller report. Or vaccines or any number of things that you could name. Yeah, something just doesn't add up here. He rejected Iran's denial on Friday that uh, concerning the attack on these two tankers, insisting in that Fox interview that Iran did do it 
and pointing to that video released. Iran called the U.S. allegations against it alarming. Uh, Trump also denounced Iran's leadership while expressing interest in negotiations, saying they are a nation of terror. They've been told in very strong terms we want to get them back to the table if they want to get back, adding I'm in no rush. Iranian Foreign Minister uh, uh, Mohammad Javad Zarif said the U.S. had immediately, quote, immediately jumped to make allegations against Iran without a shred of factual or circumstantial evidence. He accused the Trump White House of, quote, economic terrorism and sabotage diplomacy. Appearing Friday on CNN, after Trump had blamed Iran for the attacks, the House Foreign Affairs Committee's top Republican, Congressman Michael McCall of Texas urged the administration to focus on diplomacy. He said, we always want peace, not war. Well, that is at least a good sign that a Republican in the Senate does not appear to be falling for it either. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, however, on Thursday said that the weapons used and the level of expertise behind the attack suggests uh, Tehran is the culprit. The attack came on the heels. This is bizarre. It comes on the heels of Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's two-day trip to Iran. Abe may still have been in Iran at the time. The trip was aimed at improving relations between Washington, D.C. and Tehran, which have deteriorated in the uh, past two days very quickly. So that would mean that Iran attacked a Japanese-owned ship either just after or even while uh, the Japanese prime minister was meeting with Iranian officials to try and improve relations. Does that make much sense? No, it does not add up. And I don't understand what the logic would be behind Iran doing something of that nature. The uh, the Japanese foreign ministry condemned the attacks in a statement on Friday, vowed to work with the related countries to secure the safety of the region, but did not mention Iran or other possible assailants. Germany's government called for an investigation into what they described as the extraordinarily worrying incident and said it had no information on who carried out the attacks. A spokesman for Chancellor Angela Merkel uh, described a a spiral of escalation that must be avoided. In Beijing, China's foreign ministry spokesman said that China hopes all sides can jointly safeguard uh, navigational safety in the relevant waters. Nobody wants to see war in the Gulf, he said. That is not in anyone's interest. Well, it might be in somebody's interest. Somebody who is seeing the heat build pretty quickly around calls for his impeachment and removal from office, frankly. Iran, for their part, part, said the responsibility for the security of the Strait of Hormuz lies with the Islamic Republic of Iran, and we showed that we were able to rescue the sailors of one of the ships as soon as possible. They also helped put out the, uh, the fire on one of the ships. The uh, spokesperson said the accusation against Iran is not only not funny, but it is alarming and worrisome. U.S. officials said several nations are consulting about how to respond One option may be military escorts for commercial tankers who are moving through the strait. But uh, Secretary of State Pompeo blamed Iran on Thursday 
for the blatant assault on the vessels and said the U.S. would defend itself and its allies against Iranian aggression in the region while providing no evidence whatsoever that the explosions were the work of Iranian forces. No other country's spokesperson was willing to come forward and make that kind of a claim. Pompeo said the impetus behind the attacks was the administration's maximum pressure campaign of sanctions that have been put in place since uh, the U.S. pulled out of the agreement, the seven nation agreement to prevent Iran from uh, uh, working on nuclear weapons. But some experts say the recent tensions have underscored the limits of that maximum pressure campaign. Uh, Ali Vaez, senior Iran analyst and uh, project director for the International Crisis Group, said this is a way station to a wider conflict breaking out between Iran and the U.S. If Iran was behind it, it's very clear that the maximum pressure policy of the Trump administration is rendering Iran more aggressive not less. So just wanted to get that on the radar there, uh, that uh, there is a lot to be skeptical about here, including from the owner of the ship that was actually attacked, that uh, tanker. So just want to get that out there. Uh, The only one claiming Iran was behind this attack right now is the U.S. They have presented no evidence in support of it and even The owner of that uh, tanker says it didn't happen. And Donald Trump does not seem to care. He seems satisfied with a single grainy video that doesn't actually tell us anything about the attack in question at all. In fact, Trump tweeted out the four minute video of Secretary of State Mike Pompeo claiming that Iran was behind that attack and others, including a rocket attack in Iraq and a car bombing in Afghanistan, all without any evidence whatsoever, with Trump adding to that video, uh, quote, it is the assessment of the U.S. government that Iran is responsible for today's attack in the Gulf of Oman. So warmongering with evidence-free claims is apparently still allowable on Twitter, but... A graphic with a KKK hood over the stars on the U.S. flag? Well, that apparently is ground for banning an author and investigative journalist who has been reporting on the radical right for decades, banning that uh, journalist from Twitter altogether, at least for now. What a world. That author, David Nywert, joins us next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. David Nywert is an investigative journalist based in Seattle and a contributing writer for the Southern Poverty Law Center, a well-known nonprofit organization which tracks hate groups and incidents of hate crimes across the country via the SPLC's Hate Watch blog. 
Nywerk has worked for MSNBC.com, where in 2000, his reporting on domestic terrorism earned him a National Press Club Award for Distinguished Online Journalism. He's worked as a senior editor at our friend John Amato's Crooks and Liars, Com, and a Delhi Coast, where he's a staff writer. He is the author of a whole bunch of books over the past 15 years, many of which focus on the American right, including his latest, 2017's Alt-America, The Rise of the Radical Right in the Age of Trump. Well, last Tuesday morning, Nywert woke up, and as too many of us do, he logged on to Twitter to find out what new nightmares were rolling in that day, only to find a notice from the powerful social media platform that his account has been temporarily suspended, apparently due to a graphic that Nywert had been using on his profile page background for the past two years, seemingly without incident. As Nick Martin reported earlier this week at Daily Beast and tweeted out, which is where I was alerted to all of this, Twitter put a notice on Nywert's uh, uh, suspended page saying David Nywert's account is temporarily unavailable because it violates the Twitter media policy. The company declined to comment specifically on Nywert's suspension to Daily Beast, but it's publicly available Sensitive media policy includes rules prohibiting users from displaying, quote, symbols historically associated with hate groups in profile or header images. What uh, what was the apparent violation with this particular graphic? Well, it was part of a graphic from the cover of his 2017 book, Alt-America, The Rise of the Radical Right in the Age of Trump, which includes a clever graphic showing KKK hoods on top of each white star on the American flag. This, Nywert told Martin, was apparently the reason his account was temporarily shut down. With all of his tweets still now almost a week later, still unavailable as he remains unable himself to post any new tweets or respond to others on the powerful social media platform. Now, several weeks ago, there was quite a bit of news. Much of much of it was celebrated in progressive circles when the accounts of some far right wingers like Alex Jones, Milo Yiannopoulos, white nationalist Richard Spencer and others were permanently removed from Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and a number of other social media outlets. But should Nywert's suspension give pause to some of those who celebrated the removal of those folks on the right? After all, if they can be deplatformed, as the word recently coined describes it, uh, what's to stop anybody? Yes, including on the progressive left, folks like David Nywert from being removed or censored for really any reason that those platforms like. The owners of those powerful private media companies could remove anyone they feel like. Well, joining us now to try to make sense of all of this and answer some of these questions is the still suspended David Nywert. David, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me on, Brad. I've got a lot of conflicting views, I admit, and uh, uh, thoughts on this whole matter, mm -hmm. which, which have been confusing and troubling me for uh, several weeks, several months, actually. Not just the outrageousness of the suspension of an account like yours, but a whole bunch of this stuff, David, uh, what, what some refer to as deplatforming. Uh, I think mm -hmm. nobody has properly figured out yet when it comes to social media. Uh, it seems like this 
these platforms can be abused by the users, but they can also be abused by the owners uh, of these platforms. So I've kind of wanted to talk with someone about this for a while, but I didn't really want to talk to an aggrieved right winger <laughs> because, you know, they always pretend to be aggrieved, whether they or are or aren't. And, and uh, they're wildly dishonest, yeah. so I don't want to give them a platform. But I, so I wanted to speak to a progressive, though one has some who has some perspective on this, as you do, because I've seen many folks on the left celebrating when folks on the right were removed from these social platforms, and I'm not wholly comfortable with that. So, as yeah. someone who is feeling the pinch of all of this, and, and really a form of censorship yourself, I want to get into the facts of your case and look at that bigger picture. But before even that, how are you enjoying not being on Twitter for a week now? Because I'm kind of <laughs> jealous, to be frank, David. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, I just put up a post at uh, Daily Coast this mm -hmm. morning. Yeah, uh, <laughs> commenting on how I actually am rather enjoying uh, not the, the the disappearance of that low level of stress yeah. that comes from being on Twitter. Uh, it's kind of like you know, I, I suddenly don't have to commute to work anymore. Hey, yeah, kinda like, <laughs> right. It's it's but, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's it's obviously something I want to resolve, and and uh, I have been in contact with the folks at Twitter, and we're we're moving forward on it, and uh, hopefully we can get this figured out. Well. But, uh, I, and I honestly don't feel that that it's censorship. This mm -hmm. is, I mean, censorship. Uh, you know, I I've worked as a newspaper editor mm -hmm. since the 1970s, Brad, and and uh, we own platforms too. You know, all these community newspapers are platforms. Mm -hmm. And you know what? We had editors who 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 decided what was actually going to appear on those platforms and what wasn't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a much more limited platform, much more limited in distribution, and so on and so forth. But it was where people would send their letters to the editor, mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And, and, and there was never any concept that, that we had to publish every single letter that got sent to us. Mm. And there was never any sense that we were uh, deplatforming people by declining to run their content. Rather, it was uh, a matter of typically whether or not they met our standards. Yeah, but you were, uh, Dave, of, David, you you were uh, probably could be considered the gatekeepers that folks like you and I as bloggers yeah. used to complain about, right? That now we have yes, indeed. social media that we don't have to worry about you uh, uh, conservative gatekeepers, right? Uh, and so that's right. what these platforms were for. And now the even the gatekeeper, the non-gatekeepers have gatekeepers, I guess. Well, and that's part, and, and the number one driver in this that everybody needs to understand is that that uh, <laughs> these platforms, in spite of their attempts at being open and sort of getting away from having gatekeepers, remain uh, both legally and financially responsible for the material that appears on their website. So it's it, it certainly morally. I mean, I think everyone understood that morally, uh, Facebook's handling of the Christchurch Christ uh, live stream was just horrific. The shooting. The, yeah. Yes, the Christchurch mass shooting. Mm -hmm. And the way that they handled it and how slowly they were to get that live stream off their site and to eradicate all uh, versions of mm -hmm. it. But and those are just examples of the kind of things, the way that people are are doing it. But but uh, honestly, um, 
there was never any conception and, and never should have been any conception that these platforms should have to provide a home to someone like David Duke or someone uh, you know like Richard Spencer that that those people should, you know if they're going to be engaging in hate speech that's designed to dis- to take away uh, the rights that, including the speech rights of other people that they don't have a legitimate claim to you know being above, I mean because basically they don't meet your basic standards of what's acceptable for you to run on your platform and and, and just think about what's what's going on with Alex Jones mm-hmm. and, and Jones's infowars thing mm-hmm. uh with being um you know he's he's facing lawsuits from these Sandy Hook families and I frankly, and I have said on Twitter, I frankly hope they uh, uh, bankrupt the guy and put him out of business because he has no business being on the air spreading these kinds of lies about other people. And one of the reasons that they've been able to get away with it is that it's so widespread and people haven't uh, been able to take this stuff to court. In the old days, before there was social media, mm-hmm. if you publish stuff like that, you're going to get taken to court the next week. Mm. You know? Well, and this and, is, and now, and now he's finally being held responsible for it in the court of law. And I hope they do soak him for everything he's worth. And of course, we're talking about uh, Alex Jones, who uh, you know said that yeah. the Sandy Hook shooting was all fake, and this has led to uh, his followers essentially harassing the parents of these children who were killed at Sandy Hook yeah. uh, endlessly for years since that horrific shooting. But we're actually getting a little ahead of ourselves for a minute, David, because I want to okay. talk about the specifics of your case here uh were you yeah, gi- yeah, sure. were you given any sort of uh warning before your account no. was suspended by twitter no i mean i've had that image up since october 2017 and have you it's had been my it's been my header and had you had any other problems in, with twitter uh in in the past where you were forced to delete a tweet or you were placed in temporary twitter well, jail or anything never not once in, in fact it, yeah i mean it kind of i was worried because uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Michael Edison Hayden, mm-hmm. uh, who works for the Southern Poverty Law Center, was suspended mm-hmm. last month by Twitter for a post that was really just an innocuous kind of thing that any of us would post at any time about the, those of us who cover the radical right. And so, uh, and the reason I'm fighting fighting it and you know trying to uh, change this is because it really reflects this sort of mindset at Twitter that that actual reportage on the radical right equals uh, equals the radical right mm. hate speech right and and this is my number one concern that that a guy like me can I can go out and and I do I cover I cover all these uh, radical right shows I go to uh, uh, all of, I've been to Berkeley and Portland and and uh, all of the, you know all around the country covering mm-hmm. these things and, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting pictures of Nazis all the time, and, right. they're, and they're fascist symbols. Right. And, I'm, I'm, and I published them, and I have published them in the past. I've published videos of them uh, gang-kicking an anti-fascist in Portland, and they didn't take that down. Uh, I, I've done all this imagery. And so my concern is that, I'm gonna, that we're now going to have this cloud over our head 
those of us who are out there actually reporting on this stuff mm-hmm. and doing the serious journalism of it, that we're going to be able, that we're going to face potential Twitter ban at any time for simply reporting on it. it. And isn't that, doesn't that underscore one of the dangers here? I mean, in one sense, you say, yeah, we need to remove, obviously, this live shooting, this snuff film that was going on with mm-hmm. uh, Christchurch, but these other things that are, you know, legitimate reporting. You know, there's, for example, there's I, there's a page that I have at, at bradblog.com, a report that I did some years ago that has some very graphic uh, police photos. And the reason I've posted those uh, in a story is because the police report did not match what is seen in those actual photos. And the only way I can tell the story right. is to show the photos. And yet Google has said uh, over the years, time and time again, we will not run ads on that page. You must take that down. There seems like there's a lot of lines and questions about where those lines are in these matters. Yeah, no, it, it, it feels very tangled right now, partly mm-hmm. because uh, there's been a lot of sort of deliberate obfuscation of what, our, what the First Amendment actually means. I mean, mm-hmm. let's, let's be clear, Brad, the First Amendment is about the government. It's right. not about these platforms. It is about that, right? It's not. It, these are private companies. They can do whatever they want. I can yeah. take off, uh, and and I do. You know, when I have yeah. commenters at Bradblog who uh, post right. repeated information, eventually you say, "I gave you warnings, dude. I'm I can't let you post here anymore." Right, but but what it actually does talk about at the same time. Mm-hmm. So what we're actually talking about is uh, the principles of free speech, right? The sort of democratic. Principles of free speech, mm-hmm. and let's recognize that free speech is only possible in a in a liberal democracy. It's the liberal democracy that creates the open market of ideas in which that are exchanged in a free speech market. Right? Mm-hmm. You destroy if you destroy the democratic underpinnings of that marketplace, you destroy the marketplace itself. Mm-hmm. And fascists and white nationalists. I mean, and we've known this since the 1920s, cynically used the assets of liberal democracy to destroy it and attack it. Specifically, they use the claim, the, free, the rights of free speech to claim free speech for themselves, and then once they obtain power, they eliminate everybody else's free speech. Mm-hmm. Richard Spencer has been really explicit about this on a couple of occasions, that they, they really don't care about free speech, that they just claim it, so that they can maintain their platform. This is something Karl Popper wrote about in the 1950s in uh, The Open Society and Its Enemies, Mm -hmm. uh, and explained it really in wonderful uh, detail and with great insight, that fundamentally, when you, you know, it's the age-old conundrum. Uh, Well, if you're so tolerant, why can't you uh, allow... Uh, intolerance, you know, why can't you allow mm-hmm. these intolerant people if you're tolerant? Right. Well, it, it's that the answer is that tolerance and intolerance are like matter and antimatter. The, the one destroys the other, and typically, intolerance absolutely destroys uh, systems based on tolerance. And this is what a popper wrote about at length. So, it, it, when you're when you start introducing fascist voices and, mm-hmm. and allowing fascist voices to actually uh, uh, become dominant or actually hold uh, to have a grip in your marketplace of ideas, that marketplace is going to be destroyed. But who gets 
who gets to decide? In other words, Richard Spencer, uh, who is obviously loathsome, uh, you know, yeah. he said, you know, if, if fascists are in power, they'll take away uh, the free speech of others. But Twitter is not necessarily power. And uh, you write, for example, today right. at Daily Coast, the efforts to remove fascist speech from these platforms, in fact, are aimed at protecting the open society that makes the free exchange of ideas possible in the yeah. first place. But isn't fascist speech also free speech? Well, it's it's a cynical manipulation of free speech. That's the thing. We have to understand what we're the beast that we're actually dealing with. I mean, the principles of free speech, you know, came up during the Enlightenment, mm -hmm. and they didn't have fascists back then. Uh, it was very much a 20th century development of mass politics. And we, but we certainly saw the results of it, didn't we? Yes, but Twitter is, as I say, is not government, is not power. And I wonder, for, I mean, here's what I'm concerned about, uh, David. Uh, you know, I don't think that Jack Dorsey, who owns Twitter, or Mark Zuckerberg, I don't think that they are uh, raving lefties, as many uh, on the right dishonestly like to claim. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nor do I believe that they're hard right wingers. Nor are they fascists. Exactly. Yeah. But what if a right winger does purchase Twitter eventually and decides to permanently ban folks like you and me because they say our work is dangerous. They may be wrong, but they own the mm -hmm. platform and they can make that claim. Is, well, isn't that well, a concern? Literally, they can set any standards that they want. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, is that these are, they can, because they are private platforms, they have the right to set any standards they want and they can decide what those standards are. So Twitter has announced that it wants, as its standard, it wants to remove uh, all. It wants to remove hate speech, mm -hmm. right? Right. But it isn't distinguishing between hate speech and the actual and actual efforts to fight hate speech. You see? It's yes. Not it, it, it's, not, it's not making that distinction, and, and it's supposed to be doing this on behalf of the effort to fight hate speech, mm -hmm. because this is its standard. Yeah, I know, and I just don't... And how does that... Be well, well, what I mean, what I'm saying is that they're doing it badly. It's not that, right. they, that this is an impossible standard to meet, because it's been, it was met for 50 years prior, you know, after World War II. The problem is that the they're the, you know they're basically trying to replace human uh, judgment with an algorithm, and algorithms are stupid. They can't right. figure this stuff out. They don't have. They lack the human judgment. Well, one of those um, algorithms, I guess, was was originally uh, triggered. Uh, in uh, seen in their sensitive media policy that uh, prohibits the display of symbols historically associated with hate groups, mm -hmm. uh, and that's I guess that's the one that dinged you, right? We don't. They, they put out a yeah. you you included a statement that you got from them. I guess we don't allow hateful symbols in avatars or header images in order to protect users from unintentionally being exposed to abusive imagery that can be upsetting. Mm -hmm. Uh, we know that some people use these symbols to confront a hateful ideology. That would be you. But that's not always obvious at first glance. In this case, additional context in the account profile clarifies the intent, but that isn't always visible in the product. So, for example, they write someone viewing the header on mobile 
wouldn't have that extra content uh, context and would only see the hateful image. Now, first, that image, David Nywert, does not seem to be a hateful image to me. It seems pretty clear just by the context of the graphic alone that it is not a, a, a hate symbol per se. Um, right. the, the hoods it's on the commentary. stars. It's commentary, right. But right. actually, isn't that their problem, that their mobile version doesn't show the full context of your profile and, and not your problem? Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I suppose, but the whole answer rings really hollow to me because those profiles are very much secondary to what appears on people's mobile units. Sure. What, what mostly appears on people's mobile units is, the posts and the photos we put with the posts, mm-hmm. and and I run much more hateful stuff in my photos all the time because I'm reporting on these guys. Right. I, I run clan hoods. I run tiki torch parades. I run. Mm-hmm. I've got people. I've got graffiti with swastikas on it and all kinds of stuff. So what's the uh, because I'm reporting on their activities. So what's the solution here? I mean, I'm I'm shocked that. Uh, you know, I would have thought that even if this got uh, dinged by some algorithm or a bunch of right wingers decided they all wanted to report you at the same time and something kicks mm-hmm. in to remove you temporarily, I would think the next day they would look at it, a human being would look at it and say, oh, obviously this is not meant as a hate symbol and they would restore your account. But you've been Correct. down for uh, you've been down for a week, David. Since Tuesday, since Tuesday yeah. morning. I, yeah, yeah. I, so what's the solution? I, I, well, why I is no that? <laughs> you, you have... I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think it might be because uh, my fans uh, kind of jumped on the band. I, I, I haven't been on Twitter, so I haven't been able to see her. See, <laughs> right. but, but I've heard it's been there's a whole stink about it, and you know it could be that you know they got their backs up. I have no idea. What What do they tell uh, you? All, when all you I s- know is yeah. All I know is that, yeah, they, they wrote me back on Thursday and said, well, yeah, let's let's talk about it. So I'm supposed to have a conversation with them today or tomorrow. I, I don't even know what there is to talk about anymore. You said, uh, no, I'm not going to take that down. They said, uh, well, it violates our policy. Uh, are you going to are you planning on uh, st- sticking with well, that? Well, they would like to hear my they would like to hear my input and my thoughts on why I don't believe it's hateful mm-hmm. and why I believe that their standards are messed up. And I, it, it, but see, that's the thing. I, I don't think their standards are messed up. I think they're, 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 their insistence on relying on an algorithm for something, you know, and of course they get, what, 500 million tweets a day. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously they have to use algorithms to flag these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just a, a, the nature of the beast. Right. But how many actual suspensions for hate speech do they make? Probably not very many. Probably in the hundreds. Well, yeah. And that's something that is manageable uh, on a human level. And it's something that requires human judgment to make those calls. And they just need to make bite the bullet and recognize that they need to employ smart, well-trained humans to do the, that job that they can't rely on an algorithm. No, and it seems like for sure that a human must have reviewed your situation already, and which which yeah. makes it disturbing that you have not been restored. Although, I would say, uh, David, what if a right-winger, an actual uh, Klansman, took your graphic 
and uh, made it their uh, their their uh, profile uh, background, setting aside you know copyright issues from your publisher. If they were using that very same uh, graphic, would that be a problem as you see it? Well, I mean, I'd be pissed at them, <laughs> and I would I would tell them to take it down because you you know you're abusing my graphic. Right. But that would not be grounds for them to take it down. I mean, there's nothing in my image, even if a hate group were to mm-hmm. use it, that would imply that sort of thing. And as I've pointed out, they're using the excuse for this that you know they're they're trying to to rub out these image images. But I can go find you a, a hundred Pepe avatars right. out there in people's profiles, or Groiper, the other alt-right thing. Uh, there are people using other uh, avatars as well, mm-hmm. including, like, uh, as I mentioned in the Coast piece, uh, somebody I encountered on, on Twitter was using the name Joseph Paul Franklin. But this is going to get caught by... Somebody on uh, by somebody who's not knowledgeable about this stuff, or certainly won't get caught by a an algorithm, because most people don't know who Joseph Paul Franklin was. Joseph Paul Franklin was this man who, between 1977 and 80, murdered about 50 people by with a sniper rifle. Mm-hmm. Most of them mixed race couples, and he, and he was assassinating mixed race couples around the country, and uh, including he he. Uh, Shot Vernon Jordan, mm-hmm. civil rights leader. Right, um, and he was put to death by injection in 2013. And just using uh, that name, so, uh, somebody was using that guy's name and yeah. his picture. Yeah, uh, and, and you know, in, in, so I reported him, and they took him down once I reported him. But they weren't catching that, and they weren't able to catch that. Yeah, and they're also not catching, as you note in your piece at Daily Coast, which I hope the folks at Twitter read, uh, headlined, Twitter is showing that it won't even try to distinguish hate speech from the efforts to oppose it. Uh, You note that there are a lot of uh, alt-right uh, folk, white nationalists out there who don't include any offensive uh, or questionable graphics in their profile, and they're allowed to uh, continue as is. Um, David Duke. And like David Duke being exactly one. Uh, I've got just a, a, a minute or two here, uh, David, as I was looking back, uh, trying to figure out when we had last talked and uh, or wanted to talk. And I realized back in November of 2015, you actually wrote a, uh, a piece over at your uh, your blog or sinus. I think I'm uh, pronouncing that correctly which was incredibly prescient, and in and of itself, it should recommend that people go buy the book that you can't you can't currently sell at Twitter uh, called Alt-America, The Rise of the Radical Right in the Age of Trump, um, because in November of 2015, you wrote, uh, and I'll just uh, read a couple of quick snippets here, people who have studied the extremist right as a historical and sociopolitical phenomenon in depth are acutely aware of a simple truth. America has been very, very lucky so far when it comes to fascistic political movements. And now, with the arrival of the Donald Trump 2016 phenomenon, that luck may be about to run out. Again, this is in November of 2015. David Nywert writes, Trump is the logical end result of an endless series of assaults on not just American liberalism, but on democratic institutions themselves. 
by the American right for many years. It is the long-term creep of radicalization of the right. Come home to roost. Um, you write, the reality that Trump is not a bona fide fascist himself does not make him any less dangerous. In some ways, it makes him more so because it disguises the swastika looming in the shadow of the flamboyant orange hair. It camouflages the throng of ravening wolves he's riding in upon. Again, that was in 2015. Uh, David, you nailed it. It seems to me uh, long before uh, many others understood the uh, threat that was presented by Donald Trump. Yeah, um, there were certainly a lot of us who um, were circling around this whole issue of the rising trend of authoritarianism in American politics and particularly on the right that we'd seen really kind of building since two thousand since nine eleven mm-hmm. two thousand one, and it's just been this very steady drumbeat that's been building slowly. And it really became concerning during the Obama years when we saw the the, the melding of um, the conspiracist faction with mainstream conservatives in the form of the Tea Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when we saw all the militias reviving and all the and and you know all the wacky conspiracy theories getting out of control. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's been you know a very long process of of being concerned about this and and one of the of course one of the markers for me as i mentioned in that piece is is the whole slogan of make america great again i've been studying fascism since really since the 1970s when Mm -hmm. i was right reporting on the aryan nations and what i can tell you is that you know there's probably one of the best scholars of fascism is a fellow named roger griffin he's at uh Oxford Brooks, mm-hmm. and um, he wrote a book uh, titled The Nature of Fascism that basically found that the core principle of fascism is what he calls um, palingenetic ultranationalist populism. And, of course, we all know what ultranationalist populism is, but what's palingenesis? Well, palingenesis is the myth of the phoenix-like rebirth from the ashes mm-hmm. of, you know, the, the, the great nation, Right. And he wrote this, like, in 2001. And I can tell you there's no better pure expression of straight-up palingenetic ideas than make America great again. Mm. That's, if I were to do an American slogan, palingenetic slogan, that would be my slogan. So, so it just raised the hair on the back of my neck uh, when I saw him using that. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, it was like, boy, red flags are going up. Uh, he's coming from the conspiracist universe in the first place. Uh, you know, i got to start uh, selling the birther conspiracies. And he's clearly kind of does a lot of wink and nut stuff with white nationalists and, and uh, militiamen types. And so, um, yeah, I think a lot of us had con- these concerns. Um, you know, you, you start saying the F-bomb, the word fascism and people <laughs> immediately call you an alarmist and well they you uh, i had more than my share of that over the well years. you know what <laughs> uh, apparently we needed a few more alarms uh david nyward author of 2017's alt america the rise of the radical right in the age of trump 
Uh, we will link to that book so people can purchase it. So hopefully we can make some lemonade out of the lemons that uh, Twitter has handed <laughs> you by uh, knocking you out of their service. Once uh, they're back, once if he's ever allowed back, you'll find him on Twitter's at David Nywert. Until then, you can find his work at DailyCoast.com and on his own personal blog or Sinus, which you can find at D Nywert. That's N E I W E R T dot blogspot.com david uh good luck uh battling the uh the twitter fights we'll keep our eyes on on you there and uh we'll let everyone know you're doing well on twitter today <laughs> hey thanks a lot brad thanks david all right quick break and we are back with uh news from the dnc on the first of i think 12 planned presidential debates for 2020 uh, that's straight ahead on the bradcast i'm brad friedman <laughs> The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Shake your body, baby, do the conga. No, you can't control yourself any longer. Come on, shake your body, baby, do the conga. No, you can't control yourself any longer. Miami Sound Machine? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Suddenly I got this picture of uh, Bernie Sanders doing the conga. Oh, boy. Yeah. Him and Biden. That would be quite the sight. Oh, brother. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Elizabeth Warren will be the biggest name on the stage on the first night. While Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders will be uh, having a conga dance-off on the second night, along with Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg, all jockeying for attention at the first Democratic presidential primary debates in Miami in just under two weeks. The 20 candidates who are participating were announced on Thursday. Uh, and today they were uh, split into two uh, two groups at uh, random ra via random draw. Essentially, the um, the first night, uh, June 26, will feature uh, Senator Cory Booker, uh, Julian Castro, Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York, Congressman John Delaney, who I think was he the one who was booed for saying talking about socialism in California? No, that was uh, that was Hickenlooper. Hicken right? Delaney was uh, booed for basically saying we're not going to do the Green New he Deal. He was booed or for like everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Medicare for all. Tulsi Gabbard, Jay Inslee, who I know Desi likes, uh, Amy Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke, Tim Ryan, and Elizabeth Warren uh, will be on the first night. So she's really and she's been surging lately. She really sort of has that first night all to herself in one sense uh, as far as front runners go on the second night it will be Biden and Sanders along with Kamala Harris Michael Bennett the uh, senator from Colorado South Bend mayor India uh, of Indiana Pete Buttigieg Kirsten Gillibrand Colorado Governor Jim Hick John Hickenlooper Congressman Eric Salt Swalwell and author and spiritual guru Marianne Williamson who is, I guess, uh, Oprah's spiritual advisor and uh, technology entrepreneur Andrew Yang. They will be the second night. Uh, some have already complained that the second night seems more heavily weighted towards the big shots. Uh, those not invited to this first debate, this first two-night debate, include Governor Steve Bullock of Montana, 
Uh, I'm sort of surprised and not surprised about him not making the cut. He had released a digital ad questioning why the DNC had not permitted him to join the debates. But the fact is uh, he didn't meet the criteria for that. Uh, And there were pretty broad criteria that obviously you see let in 20 others. The problem with uh, Bullock, uh, among others, is that he got into the race really late because he wanted to complete his state's legislative session, including approving Uh, some 100,000 Montanans for expanded Medicaid coverage under Obamacare in an otherwise very red state. In fact, he's the only one running who comes from a state that Trump carried in a big way. Uh, He Trump beat Hillary in that state by 20 percentage points, yet Bullock managed to uh, win his uh, second term as governor. Anyway, that's the lineup there. And speaking of some of those folks, we've got do we have enough time? I hope so. I think so. Uh, speaking at George Washington University, Bernie Sanders described his campaign as a continuation of FDR's legacy, specifically citing the uh, so-called uh, bill, second bill of rights, an economic bill of rights that FDR wanted to see but was never able to. Uh, guaranteeing a living wage, affordable housing and health care and so forth and a complete education. Uh, uh, Bernie echoed FDR at his speech at George Washington University by talking about corporate interests who are unanimous in their hatred of me and I welcome their hatred, he said to cheers. And then he went on to talk about his plan. But it's not just Wall Street that loves socialism when it works for them. It is the norm across the entire corporate world. The truth is, corporate America receives hundreds of billions of dollars in federal support every single year, while these very same people are trying to cut programs that benefit ordinary Americans. When Trump attacks socialism, I am reminded again of what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, and I quote, this country has socialism for the rich, rugged individualism for the poor, end quote. And that is the difference between Donald Trump and me. He believes in corporate socialism for the rich and powerful. I believe in a democratic socialism that works for the working families of this country. What I believe is that the American people deserve freedom, true freedom. Freedom is an often used word, but it is time that we took a hard look at what that word actually means. Ask yourself, what does it really mean to be free? Are you truly free if you are unable to go to a doctor when you are sick or face financial bankruptcy when you leave the hospital? Are you truly free if you cannot afford the prescription drugs you need in order to stay alive? Are you truly free when you spend half of your limited income on housing and are forced to borrow money from a payday lender at 200% interest rates? 
Are you truly free if you are 70 years old and forced to work because you lack a pension or enough money to retire? Are you truly free if you are unable to go to a college or a trade school because your family lacks the income? Are you truly free if you are forced to work 60 or 80 hours a week because you cannot find a job that pays you a living wage? Are you truly free if you are a mother with a newborn baby, but you are forced to go back to work immediately after the birth of that child because you lack paid family leave? Are you truly free if you are a small business owner or a family farmer who is driven out of business by the monopolistic practices of big business? Are you truly free if you are a veteran who has put his or her life on the line to defend this country and tonight will be sleeping out on the streets? To me, the answer to those questions in the wealthiest nation on earth is no. Under those conditions, you are not truly free. While the Bill of Rights protects us from the tyranny of an oppressive government, many in the establishment would like the American people to submit to the tyranny of oligarchs, multinational corporations, Wall Street banks, and billionaires. It is time, and in fact, time long overdue, for the American people to stand up and fight for their right to freedom, human dignity, and security. Presidential candidate Bernie Sanders speaking at George Washington University this week. All right, we have got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, author David Nywert of Daily Coast, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it or any other show anytime from uh, bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And you will find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters, unless they suspend me too, at the Brad Blog. Also, my thanks to those of you who help us stay on your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. I can't thank you enough. That's it for today. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Come on, shake your body, baby, do that conga. I know you can't control yourself any longer. Feel the rhythm of the music getting stronger. Don't you fight it till you try to do that conga beat.